Welcome to the Oral History at Shippensburg University podcast, episode 3. In this series, students studying oral history at Shippensburg University of Pennsylvania share their projects. We've dedicated the spring 2019 season to the subject of disability. We will be discussing the experiences of educators and activists who have spent time working with children with disabilities, the efforts of college campuses to address the needs and experiences of their disabled students. The formation of Shippensburg University's Disability Studies Program, and we will be assessing three distinct platforms that highlight disabled sources within oral history. Welcome. The mission of our project was to chronicle the forces at Shippensburg University that led up to the creation of a Disability Studies Program. The process through which it was established, as well as the initial challenges and accomplishments during its formative years. The disability rights movement was the catalyst in forming the discipline of disability studies. In 1982, a group of scholars created the Nonprofit Society for Disability Studies. SDS's mission is to augment understanding of disability in all cultures and historical periods, to promote greater awareness of the experiences of disabled people, and to advocate for social change. In 1990, with the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, came new job opportunities in the fields not only of education, healthcare, and social work, but also in law, architecture, engineering, and the arts. Many institutions of higher learning stepped in to meet the new demand for proper training. Typically, the programs they established relied on an interdisciplinary approach. Currently, approximately 35 colleges and universities offer programs in disability studies. The program at Chippensburg University began in 2011 with a class called Introduction to Exceptionalities. The success of this class led to the creation of two student groups, People Involved Equally, or PI, and the Disability Awareness Club. As student interest in the field increased, faculty members created a steering committee to develop a program. They designed two new classes and incorporated curriculum from various departments that related to the discipline. In addition to its cutting-edge interdisciplinary approach, the program has also stressed interaction between students and people with disabilities and capstone projects to improve access and facilities for the Shippensburg community and beyond. Each student in our group contacted a person involved with the founding of the Shippensburg Disability Studies Program. The narrators were each asked nine basic questions about the program. My name is Courtney Smith, and I interviewed Professor Cheryl Zacagnini. She was selected for our project because she was an original member of the Interdisciplinary Steering Committee that created the program, representing the School of Education. Professor Zacagnini had taught classes on special education at SHIP from 1995 through 2017. Our hope was for her to provide insight into both the goals of the special education department as well as her own involvement into the process of establishing the minor. Once I got to that culminating project as that final course, so that they were actually, it truly was an interdisciplinary, because you had so many majors in there. I had psych majors, history majors, social work majors, education majors, you know, business majors, uh, communication majors. So they were all in there and had taken all those courses, and that was the final class, so that they truly did an interdisciplinary research and commitment to that final. The only negative factor she revealed was some frustration with the length of time that the process took because they were all so excited to begin. 
process at the university is you have to go through different departments, you have to go through different committees to even get it approved. Like, like one because there's a thing called the University Curriculum Committee. So you have to actually have everything established. You have to have letters of support. You have to have a syllabi to present. You have to have um, workforce capacity. How are you going to have faculty to be able to teach those classes? Because we had to look at, okay, we're going to be using existing faculty. So how are we going to get them release time? Or how are they going to be paid for an extra course to teach during a semester? Because they're still with their department. So what are we, how are we going to work within that capacity? So we had to have all that up front. Professor Zacagnini did not express any personal connection to people with disabilities as a motivating factor for either her work in special education or her role on the committee. But she did explicitly point out that one of the other members of the steering committee had a child with disabilities. One phrase she used that struck me as odd was release time. And then that we actually got a release for Allison to be, we actually went through a whole hiring a disability studies minor director. So we had different people applying and Allison, and I was on that search committee. We actually hired Allison, who was one of the key people. And she's instrumental across the country anyway. She's on a disability, uh, she served on the Society for Disability Studies and she's written a book on disability incarcerated and things like that. But then she became the director. So then we had to work with management and administration on getting an office as well as getting her release time from her. While this phrase may be commonly used at a state university, it was new to me and sounded tellingly like a term that would be used in a prison setting. In general, Professor Zacagnini's speech jumped from topic to topic mid-sentence as she recalled information. While this pattern did not hinder understanding when conversing with her, it did make transcribing the interview extremely difficult and will most likely affect the ability of a reader to understand the transcription. Professor Zacagnini used the pronoun I or my when referring to work she performed individually, but always used we when referring to the program, emphasizing that the program was a group effort. That was just our initial interest mm -hmm. in disability studies. Mm -hmm. Then what we did, we decided to start thinking about it and how could we develop it. So then one of my tasks was to um, research all the disability studies programs across the country. So I did that and pulled out their mission, their goals, how they were set up, were they undergraduate, graduate, and I really focused on the ones in Pennsylvania as well. So we did that, and then we started looking at the interdisciplinary prospect of doing that since we'd done that interdisciplinary honors course. So then we thought, how would we go about doing that? How would we engage people to participate? Where would it fit in? Hello, my name is Dar Rummel, and I interviewed Dr. Matthew Chella. In our interview, he focused on the early successes of the program, as well as how much of a success the program has turned into today. And the early projections 
over the first five years, um, so it would have been you know up until spring 2018, uh, was to build up towards 30 miners um, in the program. Within the first year, that we had over 80. Right, so we sort of we hit the five-year target. Yeah. Dr. Chella spoke about how the program developed through a simple pull on campus into one that draws in a variety of students from a variety of different backgrounds. There was a survey put out to students before the, the kind of gauging interest in, you know, would you want to take a program like this or would you be interested in a minor like this? Um, and there was a pretty positive response, and then that spilled over, right? So, you know, once the, the program was launched, um, you know, it became pretty popular. It's popular, of course, with um, majors where there is some some overlap, right, with sort of that, that kind of contents so of psychology, social work, education, um, sociology, um, departments like that. Um, but we also, because of the, the DS100 is a gen ed course um, that serves as a nice sort of seed course, where you, so you have people that didn't necessarily know anything about the minor or, or about disability studies, but took it, were interested in it and said, hey, you know, they offer this in my department, and, you know, so I could very easily double dip, and, and, and so this sort of works well with sure. My, my program of study. Um, and just sort of the continued support from not just the students, but from the faculty, support and interest sort of in the program. So I think it's done, it's done very well, and it's sort of maintained that. Dr. Cella also shared a personal story about his past involvement in a different disability program. Well, I mean, for me personally, it was sort of an interesting thing to come into, um, because while I was a grad student at the University of Connecticut, I had another sort of grad student friend who, you know, was getting into disability studies and, and tried to start up a, a minor program there at the University of Connecticut. Um, and so I was sort of, again, kind of providing the moral support and, and learning about it at the same time and sort of getting excited about it. He, of course, ended up graduating, which is what you hope to do, right, yeah. if you're a graduate student. And so that, that project kind of fizzled out right, because there wasn't any sort of permanent faculty member that, that took it up. So there isn't, I don't think, presently a, a minor program um, at UConn. Um, but then to kind of come here, where my wife got a job here, and I sort of moved with her, and then adjuncted at the beginning, to have that same process sort of being started up, you know, and then so to kind of be able to follow through on something right yeah. that sort of um, you know that uh, um, that had started um, at grad school, and that really has, has sort of made a big difference in my own research and teaching, so that I've gotten more involved in disability studies as a discipline, um, you know, because of that like, sort of contact, not just in teaching, but in terms of collaborating with and talking with. You know, other folks at the university. My name is Brandon Coffey. For my interview, I interviewed Dr. Allison Carey at Shippensburg University. For our interview, we mainly discussed the curriculum and how it changed and adapted. So the curriculum, as it was originally proposed, had two core classes. One is Intro to Disability Studies, which is meant to give students this broad interdisciplinary way to think about disability. We cover disability history, we cover some disability policy, some kind of social psychology in there about the experience of living with a disability. And then, so that's kind of your gateway in, and then Disability Studies 400 is a capstone class. So it's seminar style. Somebody picks an in-depth topic, students read a lot, they discuss, and they do a major capstone project. So those are the two required classes, and then they have to take four electives. And the four electives have to come from at least two different programs. So you get that interdisciplinary um, nature to the program. 
So the biggest changes that we have made along the way, one, we created an internship, and now we're actually creating a second internship. So if students want to do another opportunity or four to six credits instead of three credits, they have more opportunity to do that. But the biggest push was really creating more and better electives within the departments. So for example, English did not have a disability specific class when we started and we offered you know, an English selected topic and we offered a, it was actually English 250, I think. We said kind of there's a specific section. So if Dr. Cella teaches it, he's gonna use disability literature and that was very bureaucratically confusing for students to figure out which section counted. And so now English has a disability and literature class. I begged the history department to give me an elective that is a disability specific class. I have not managed to, to do that yet, to get that class. My name is Christian Carrier, and I interviewed Dr. Tracy Schoolcraft, who had an administrative role in the creation of Shippensburg University's Disability Studies Program. In our interview, she expressed her personal ties to the program and why accommodation for the disabled is so important. I remember, distinctly remember having discussion in our department meeting when somebody brought up the fact that a blind student was taking introductory laboratory and it was in this person's laboratory that he was going to have to teach the student and he was somewhat complaining about it. I mean, I don't, it, it's not a fair way to characterize it, but I remember making the statement that it wasn't our job to say he couldn't do lab. It was our job to find a way to help him do lab. And that was you know, giving someone a different paradigm than they were used to thinking. It was really more of a, well, they can't. I'm like, why is, that's not our job, right? right. And because this person was also looking to go to medical school. And, I, and that also, I, I'm like, we, we, we are not the gatekeepers. I know that's an exactly. old way of looking right. at things, but that is, that goes against my own values. Um, the other thing, um, speaking of people being touched by people with disabilities, my husband had a sister who's a couple years older than him who had Down syndrome. And so we're, he was a, let's see, he graduated high school in 79. So that tells you his age, you know, he grew up um, 61 to 79. And in that time period in, in this area, he distinctly remembers they didn't go out to eat, even to like a McDonald's often because people would stare. And then Pat would get uncomfortable and upset, and then they would obviously, you know, be angry at people, and you know, at that point, be perhaps what we would consider rude to other people, saying, "What are you staring at?" kind of thing. And he was always hurt by people's rudeness, and you know, not necessarily understanding as a child that they weren't trained to be rude; they just didn't understand, right? In conclusion, regarding our group's methodology. While we tried to interview a diverse group of people, broadening our scope would have been helpful. Given more time, and perhaps more manpower, we should have tried to find at least one person to interview who wasn't completely enamored with the program, as our narrators all were. Perhaps there was a professor associated with the program initially who later dropped out. 
perhaps another professor had applied for the position of department chair and lost out. Another potential source for interviews could have been students who took classes during the formative years. Were they involved in designing the curriculum in any way? If not, did they wish they were? Did they notice any areas for improvement? In addition, everyone in our group agreed that follow-up interviews would have been beneficial. First, because many of our narrators became considerably more talkative once the formal interview was over and the recording had stopped. Second, after listening to our narrators and learning more about people involved with disabilities, we realized that many people who work in the field have a personal connection to disabilities. None of our narrators shared their connection. However, had we a direct question, they might have done so. Third, because four out of the five members of our group were undergraduates and male, while the fifth member was an older female graduate student, the tone and breadth of the conversations might have been different with a change of the interviewer's age and gender. For example, one narrator failed to reveal that she had a child with a disability. Had she been talking with another mother, she might have disclosed that information. Conversely, a narrator might have shared less with someone their own age, perhaps assuming that the older adult required less explanation than younger people. Fourth, and finally, the program is still quite new. Our collection of narratives appeared to be honeymoon stories. We wonder if some follow-up interviews five or ten years from now, when the shiny newness of the program has faded, would yield different results. That's all for this episode of Oral History at Shippensburg University. We'd like to thank all of the oral history narrators who participated in our project and who were featured in this episode. We'd also like to thank the Communications and Journalism Department at Shippensburg University for generously allowing us to use their audio lab to record our podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.